If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. We'll be in chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. If you're visiting us and you don't have a Bible, it is found on yeah, in the Pew Bibles on page 1047. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that as our gift to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. I have a question for you. How would you know that one cares about you? How would you know that one cares about you? I would assume you would give the answer that it is by one's actions that you know. The very things that they do and don't do. See, one who cares for you, I'm sure you would give the description. You begin to describe their actions as they spend time with you. They listen to you and not ignore you. If they hear news, they would check in with you and not dismiss it. In the midst of sadness, they would weep with you and not rejoice. In the midst of gladness, they would rejoice with you and not mourn. They would encourage you. They would seek to help you constantly and not hurt you. But as we think about these things, we expect these things to take place in our family and among our friends. The question is, do we expect that to happen in the church? Because as a church, God has made us a family. Christ has saved us by his death on the cross and resurrection. He has united us to be a people, and we are to care about each other. He even commands us to love one another just as he has loved us. And so we are to exude this affectionate care over each other. Our lives, specific situations, calling one another to trust and follow Jesus in the midst of everything that we experience and all that we go through. Because we are to have this care for one another. We are not to be cold, but to have compassion and care, exhorting each other to further faithfulness in Christ. Beloved, that's what we will see in this morning's passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. If you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's word. Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith, so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction, and as you know, it happened. For this reason... When I can no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love. He reported that you always have good memories of us and that you long to see us as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were encouraged about you through your faith. For now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. 
How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you? As we pray very earnestly, night and day, to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith. You may be seated. This morning's passage, our big idea, is a word of an exhortation for us. It's this. Care about one another's faithfulness to Christ. Care about one another's faithfulness to Christ. Now, one may wonder, well, what does that look like? And the passage teaches us that we are to persistently do three actions. We are to encourage one another in the faith. We are to celebrate one another's steadfastness of the faith. And we are to pray for each other's progress in the faith. Encourage, celebrate, and pray. So a little bit of a recap. Last week we saw the Apostle Paul opened up his diary to them and made known his affections for them as he was missing them out of a love for them, sorrowful over the reality that he's been torn from them and he's longing to return to this congregation. This love for the congregation stemmed from the reality that the Thessalonians were the fruit of Paul's ministry as he anticipated to present them to Christ on that day when Jesus returns. Well, in this morning's passage, Paul continues to open up his diary and make known his affections for the congregation. He's explaining his emotions and thoughts in light of his separation from them. And he goes on to explain his joy in light of Timothy's report of the congregation. Paul teaches us how to care about one another's faithfulness to Christ. And the first thing that we are to do, he teaches us that we are to encourage one another in the faith. Look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, when we can no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy. Paul took this congregation back to his immediate reaction for being separated. He's been separated for quite some time, missing them. The burden began to be unbearable. He's tried numerous of times and every plan failed, plans A through F. And so now he's thinking, plan G. We're going to stay in Athens and we're going to send Timothy. There's a 220-mile distance between Thessalonica and Athens, and so this will be a very long journey. He sent Timothy, Paul's son in the faith the one who has accompanied the Apostle Paul on numerous missionary journeys. Now, just so you know, Timothy is no scrub. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, he says this about Timothy, that I have no one like him who would genuinely care about your interest. In fact, in the next verse, Paul begins to vouch for Timothy. He says, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Timothy is a Christian, believed the very same gospel that Paul preached. In fact, Timothy was also preaching that same gospel, so much so that Paul would say that he is God's co-worker. 
Now, one may wonder, well, what is going on here? Well, like Paul, Timothy was a servant of Christ Jesus. He preached the gospel, and it labored towards its advancement. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul will say the very same thing about himself and Apollos, that they are God's co-workers as they are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the gospel of God, beckoning for people to believe in Jesus. Now, Paul is not discreet about his reason for sending Timothy. He says in verse 2, he sent him to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith. Timothy's ministry will be one of follow-up, where he goes to further root them in the gospel and root them in their faith and exhort them towards faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Paul is concerned about this very young congregation, and so he sent Timothy to further establish them in the faith. They were believers, yes, but they needed to grow all the more. Beloved, the reality is, We are saved by faith alone, and that is a really great thing. It is wonderful. It is of utmost importance that we believe in Jesus and be saved. And at the same time, when we are converted, that is not the finish line, but it is the starting line to a new race. That we are to be further rooted and grow into maturity. Sadly, In this day and age, when it comes to the Christian faith, complacency seems to be pretty prevalent. Where there isn't much of a desire to grow in Christ or seek to strive to help others grow. Isn't much Bible reading or study in doctrine, but rather, many Christians would say that they would leave it to the quote-unquote experts, pastors, and fellow seminarians. Or beloved, that is incompatible with what we see in the Scriptures. Paul was concerned about the maturity of the congregation. In Colossians chapter 1, he says that he is laboring to present them mature in Christ Jesus. Beloved, we are to be concerned about each other's maturity in Christ. Now, when it comes to growing, in specific things, you can grow in isolation. Think about getting a better golf swing. Think about getting better in playing a musical instrument. But when it comes to one's faith in Jesus and growing in the faith, you do not grow in isolation. Growth in Christ is not an isolated work. It is not an independent or an individual competition. Instead, it is an interdependent collaboration. God has united us together and he has given us pastors to preach God's word, shepherd God's people and apply it. And he has given us members that we may help one another grow in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, fit and knitted together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Beloved, the church has the responsibility to help each other grow in Christ Jesus. We are to care about one another's faithfulness to Christ. For it's only the church that's actually going to care about your faith. No other place and no other people going to care about your faith. In fact, they're going to seek to stomp out your faith. But God has given the church to help nurture and encourage one another in the faith. So Timothy was to establish them and he was to exhort them 
to further faithfulness in Christ Jesus. And beloved, we are to do the very same work with one another. Speaking God's word to each other. Applying the gospel to specific life and encouraging faithful action. Beloved, God uses gospel exhortation to grow us into maturity in the faith. It is the only way that we will grow is as we speak the truth in love to one another and help each other. Now, if we are to care for one another, then we must do this work. How are you doing in encouraging members towards further faithfulness in Christ Jesus? How are you doing in working towards other brothers and sisters growing in maturity? That actually reveals maturity when we're no longer concerned about our walk, but when we're concerned about other people's walk and we're laboring towards that very end to help them grow. Well, the Apostle Paul makes known the purpose of Timothy's encouragement. He says, so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction. And as you know, excuse me, it happened. Timothy's exhortation was intended to prevent apostasy. And what does that mean? Is falling away from the faith. It was the great Mike Tyson who said that everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. But the reality is persecution has the potential to unsettle one once they begin to experience it, to where it begins to be tempting to punt the faith, to where you signed up, you say, yes, I believe in Jesus, until you get hit in the mouth, to where you begin to maybe wonder, like, whoa, is Jesus worth it? Well, Timothy was sent to remind one another that Jesus is worth every affliction, to establish the saints in the faith all the more. He was sent to prevent them from, from committing apostasy, letting them know that Jesus suffered on their behalf, reminding them that he will return and heal every wound. Beloved, we need this gospel-centered encouragement because in the midst of affliction, we are prone to turn inward and only think about ourselves when actually we need to look upward, being reminded of what Jesus has done for us and recall his promises. Paul didn't hide the reality that Christians will suffer for following Jesus. He says that we told you and the word told you is actually in the imperfect tense, meaning he was ongoingly and repeatedly letting them know that you will suffer for following Jesus. The reality is, beloved, if we are unashamed about our faith in Christ, we will suffer for Christ at the hands of those who hate him. Our boldness will lead to being verbally berated or physically beaten. Christ will commend us, but the world will condemn us. And the reason is because they hate the gospel. The gospel is offensive as it confronts one in their sins, telling, calling one to repent and trust in Jesus Christ, seeing that you can't save yourself, but there is one who can save you. And the only way that you can or will be saved is by trusting in him. Paul makes known that we are appointed to this. In this age, Christians are destined to suffer. 
And in our suffering, we desire permanent relief. And beloved, that's not going to come in this age. It comes in the next. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says, if we are God's children, we're also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Suffering precedes glory. And it's the reality of affliction that reveals the necessity of encouragement. As gospel-centered encouragement fuels our faith and strengthens us to persevere in faithfulness to Christ. Reminding one another that Jesus is worth it and that one day this suffering will be no more. We are to do this corporately. We do this in our corporate gathering. Think about this very service this morning. The songs that we've sung. When trials come. Christ our hope in life and death. Think about the scripture reading. 1 Peter chapter 4, making known that we will suffer. The preaching of God's word reminding that Jesus has suffered for us and that he will one day return to get us. Beloved, we are to do this corporately and we are to do this in our day-to-day where we speak the truth in love, remind one another of the gospel, remind one another of what the word says and seek to strengthen and encourage one another towards further faithfulness in Christ. The Apostle Paul, he also makes known of another reason for him sending Timothy. Look at verse 5. He says, for this reason, when I can no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. Timothy was to go among them and he was to do a Sherlock Holmes, be like Sherlock Holmes and do a thorough investigation of their faith. As Paul knew that Satan worked to destroy the faith of Christians through persecution, here Satan is called a tempter. And if you know your Bibles, you would know that he is that. Think about the Garden of Eden where he tempted Adam and Eve to sin against God. Think about the Lord Jesus. In the wilderness, Satan tempted him to sin against God. And here, Paul is making known that Satan will use the persecution of the Thessalonians to tempt them to reject and turn away from Jesus. The specific sin that Satan is tempting is apostasy, renouncing Christ. As Satan whispered lies to the church about God and Jesus beckoning them that they could find life and relief by leaving Jesus, which will actually lead to death, not life. Beloved, the reality is we need to be careful of the voices that we're giving our ears to. And we also need to watch our very lives. Because the reality of drifting from the Word and drifting from the church is not from the Lord. Could it be that you're being enticed by Satan's lies and starting to believe them? Knowing that Satan is an opportunist, that he labors for the destruction of one's faith, reveals another reason why we need to be encouraging one another in the Lord. Because gospel-centered encouragement, it serves both as defense and offense. It's Draymond Green and Steph Curry packaged in one. 
It's defense in the sense that it prevents one from believing lies, and it's offense as it fuels and nurtures one's faith in Jesus. And we have the responsibility to help one another in this. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that your hearts may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The word plays defense and offense. And we have the responsibility to speak the word to one another for that very purpose. Beloved, how are you doing in this? Are you spurring one another on in the faith? Encouraging and exhorting them to further faithfulness in Jesus. Testifying that he is glorious. That he loves us even in the midst of our affliction. It is not that he hates us. Reminding us that he himself said that in this life we will have trouble. But also reminded that he has overcome the world. Beloved, how are you doing in this? If we say that we care for one another, are we showing it by exhorting one another to further faithfulness in Christ? The stakes are high, way too high, and encouragement is needed. If we're going to endure to the end, it likely won't happen in isolation, but it will happen in the context of the church helping each other to the very end. Beloved, how are you doing in caring for one another by encouraging each other in the Lord? Here Paul is teaching us that if we're going to care for each other, that we are to exhort each other. And we're also to celebrate each other's steadfastness in the faith. Which brings us to our second point. Celebrating. For Paul, the wait was over. Timothy has returned and he has brought a good report. Look at verse 6. But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love. He reported that you always have good memories of us and that you long to see us as we also long to see you. Paul was concerned about this church and his concern turned into a joyful relief. When Timothy, brought, when Timothy brought good news. It's like news of a long, successful surgery. There's joy and relief. He's relieved that his fears didn't come into a reality, as he was afraid that they may have committed apostasy. Here he makes known that Timothy has witnessed the congregation's faithfulness to Jesus. Amidst of suffering, they did not recant Christ, but they held fast out of a love for Jesus holding fast to the gospel, which is evidence of a deep abiding trust in Jesus. Paul also heard about their love, which is more fruit of saving faith, because the gospel does not transform us from the outside in, but from the inside out, to where there is deep and sincere love for one another, for the saints, and Paul learns that there is deep and sincere love for him. Now, it's important to know that this congregation was young in the faith, but they were committed to Christ. And look how Paul responded. He is celebrating. And he celebrated because he's invested in this congregation. 
Because the reality is, where you invest your time and your energy, when there's a desired outcome, you can't help but celebrate. Think about if your political candidate won an election, or your sports team won a championship, or your child has some sort of achievement or a new development, you are going to celebrate because you're invested. The question is, beloved, what about when members are being steadfast in the faith? Does that provoke celebration? How do you respond when you witness members, when you witness evidence of God's sanctifying grace in the lives of members? When they resist temptation? When they endure persecution? When they share the gospel? When a member who you know who is private, he, begin, he or she begins to open up. How do you respond? We're to be encouraged and celebrate growth. If we're invested in each other's lives, loving one another and praying for each other, we will notice growth and it is to result in celebrating, seeing evidence of God's grace in their life, commending them, calling it out and praying for more. Now, I think two things can really hinder us celebrating other members' steadfastness in the faith. One, carelessness. Where there is no concern about other people's faith, no praying for them, no getting up with them, interacting with them, there will not be any celebration if you hear news that they're growing and remaining faithful to the Lord amidst whatever it is they're going through. So first, carelessness, but also comparison. Beloved, where there is comparison, there won't be much, if any, joy or celebration. Because you will hear the news and either you would think that they should be further along, and so you won't commend them. Or you might be envious of them, and so you certainly won't celebrate them. In fact, you would delight in their demise. Neither responses are Christ-like. And the question for us is that we need to examine ourselves because we are prone to both. Beloved, what would it look like if at NBC there was a culture of celebrating each other's steadfastness and faithfulness to Christ? To where we hear the news and we're commending, celebrating. Man, brother, sister, praise God for your faithfulness. I know that's hard, but praise the Lord that you are clinging to Jesus, that you are trusting in him. How can I pray for you to continue in that? How can I encourage you in the midst of that? May this be true at NBC, because the Lord really can use that to strengthen our endurance. When Paul learned at the, that the church in Thessalonica, that his affections for them was mutual as they also loved him. They had fond memories and they yearned for a reunion. And it goes on, look at verse 7. Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters... In all our distress and affliction, we were encouraged about you through your faith. Paul's suffering didn't end in Thessalonica. He also suffered when he came to Corinth. And amidst his suffering, Christ comforted him with the news of the Thessalonians' faithfulness. It was a balm to his soul. Because news of steadfastness, 
It causes celebration and it strengthens us in the midst of our own hardship. As we hear in our suffering, as we hear that others are enduring well and suffering well, we are reminded that Christ really does strengthen us with his grace. We're reminded that Christ sees us in our suffering, that he comforts us in our suffering, that his power is not limited, that he can actually strengthen us as we too are suffering. And let me take a moment to encourage you, because I know some of your stories. Beloved, as the pastors get together, we are encouraged by your steadfastness in Christ, leading us to celebrate because we know that you are struggling well. Some of you are struggling with sickness or sickness in the family, hardship in your home or at work, saddened by all that you're experiencing. Beloved, we are grieved by the trials and we are weeping with you. At the same time, we are celebrating that in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the fire that you are clinging to, that you are trusting in, that you are hoping in the Lord Jesus, that you have not forsaken him, and that you are aiming to continue to entrust yourselves to him and strive to do good in the midst of the pain. Beloved, it is comforting and encouraging. So now I can rely, I can think about you in the midst of our suffering. Knowing the Lord can use your testimony to comfort and strengthen and encourage us in ours, in our suffering. Look at verse 8. Paul says, for now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. Thessalonians steadfastness gave Paul life. And the reason is because news of their apostasy would have sucked the life out of the Apostle Paul. It would have been like death to him. But news of perseverance, it was life-giving. As this world is filled with temptations, seeking to lure us from Christ, we are to hold fast to this gospel that we have believed and continue in the faith. And as we do, as believers and brothers and sisters know what is going on, knowing the reality of what the world offers, and yet we see each other's perseverance, we are to celebrate. We are to rejoice that brothers and sisters are standing firm in the faith, not wavering in their faithfulness to Christ, regardless of what they may experience on account of him. Beloved, it's when we know that we have a real enemy who seeks to destroy our faith, and we hear of each other's growth and steadfastness in the faith, that we are to celebrate what Jesus is doing in each other's lives. This is what Paul is doing here. Paul has celebrated their faith, their love, and their steadfastness, which is motivated by hope in Christ. And what we see is that his actions exude care. He's not apathetic to their situation. He's fully aware of it. And what does he do? He celebrates. His heart rejoices because he cares for them. Do we do the same? Are we quick to commend and celebrate when we see progress in the faith? When we see steadfastness in the faith? Beloved, we say that we care, then we are to show that we care. 
And one of the ways we can do that is by commending each other. Out of a love for Jesus, it compels us to come closer to each other and to know what's going on in each other's lives and to encourage one another in the Lord, calling them to continue to love Christ in response to his love for us. And so we are to be a people who commend faithfulness. If our silence is hurting, just imagine how much our encouragement would help. So we're to celebrate each other's steadfastness. We're also to pray for each other's progress. Look at verse 9. Paul says, how can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you? Paul begins to burst out with emotions. This is his third prayer of thanksgiving in the letter. He is thankful to the Lord for this congregation's faithful endurance to Christ as they have suffered on account of Jesus. This news has brought Paul great joy. And here we see that Paul's gratitude and his joy, it wasn't tied to his experiences. It was tied to the churches that he planted. His concern is not for himself, but for others. And as he hears that they are remaining faithful, he can't help but rejoice. He says, how can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience? Well, here this is an idiom because Paul knows that God can't be repaid for anything that he has done. But what Paul is getting at here is that what God has done through this news was so great for him that if he were to give anything to God, it would be inadequate. All he is saying is, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That is all he can say. This is coming from Psalm chapter 116, verse 12, where the psalmist says, how can I repay the Lord for all the good he has done for me? It's in the church that I used to grow up in when they say, when I think about the goodness of the Lord and all he has done for me, my soul shouts out hallelujah. Because that's all that we can do is thank God and praise God. Well, Paul's prayer of thanksgiving. And before I get to that, got lost in my notes real quick. Gratitude. Paul's gratitude and our gratitude for one another, it is fitting when we witness in others growth and perseverance. And the reason is because that is a work of God in us. God has saved us by his grace and he sustains us by his grace. Think about Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13 where Paul tells the congregation to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And he says, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Beloved, we, preserve, we persevere in the faith because God is graciously preserving us. By his grace, he has called us and he will keep us to the very end as he promised. And here we see that the prayer of thanksgiving leads to a prayer of petition. Look at verse 10. Where he says, as we pray very earnestly, night and day, to see you face to face and to complete 
what is lacking in your faith. Paul, for Paul, celebration is mingled with concern. Their faith is genuine, yet in some areas, growth is needed. And so he prayed. And the first two things we see is the manner of his prayers and the frequency of them. It says that he prayed very earnestly. Paul wasn't playing any games. He wasn't to be taken lightly as he's fervently praying for God to bring about a reunion between him and this congregation. And this longing to see them is revealed in the frequency of his prayers. Notice what he said. As we pray very earnestly, night and day. This was a regular prayer request for the Apostle Paul. Paul is like, God, please open up a door for me to return. God, please allow us to reunite. Please, Lord, let me see them again soon. And why is Paul praying this? He says, to complete what is lacking in your faith. Now, some some people may wonder, Paul, what are you getting at right there? They have saving faith, and so where are they lacking? Well, let's get into the lab, and I'll bring this to our level. The word complete here gets at restoration, restoration for proper usage or preparation for usage. You see, among the Thessalonians, though their faith was genuine, they needed to grow further in the Lord. Paul is aware, as he hears a report from Timothy, that there are a few areas that he needs to correct them on some matters. And there are other things that he hasn't talked to, talked with them about, that he needs to put them on game with. It's kind of like the correction, it's kind of like how a chiropractor is seeking to adjust one's back or their neck into proper form and usage. Paul is about to correct them where they erred and also prepare them with specific exhortations on specific matters. And so Paul, he prayed. He's praying for the reunion because he's concerned about their progress in the faith. He's concerned about their spiritual growth. Beloved, we are to be a people who pray for each other's progress. Praying for one another's growth in the faith is one of the ways that we show care for each other. It is basic and it's actually one of the easiest things that we could do. But if we're honest... It's also one of the disciplines that's easily neglected. Oftentimes, we don't pray. Or we only pray about things that we're concerned about. We pray for our finances. We pray for our health. We pray for conversions, which we should. The Lord commands us to pray about everything. But sadly, we don't always pray for each other's progress in the faith. And I think that's because we're not always concerned about each other's progress in the faith. Beloved, prayerlessness on this matter reveals carelessness. Now, where we do this, and I'll be honest, there are times where I am guilty of this. But beloved, when I am doing this or where you are doing this, we are not being good brothers and sisters. We are falling short of our covenant obligations that we made. We said that we will exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other. And one of the ways that we can do that 
is by praying fervently for one another. The reality is that we need prayer for progress in the faith. Because on this side of glory, none of us have arrived and none of us will arrive. Our sanctification will not be complete on this side of glory. Now, I don't say this to bring us down, but I say this to spur us on. Because when it comes to sanctification, in this life, it won't be perfect, but it can be progressive. To where by the grace of God, we are reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ more and more. To where we are more loving to people around us and in our home. More humble. More of a servant. Our speech is set apart. We're seeking to be pure in all matters. Beloved, regardless of how long you've been following the Lord Jesus, there will always be a need for grace and growth. In this body of flesh that we live in, we are prone towards selfishness, sinful speech, assuming the worst in each other, and serving ourselves. We need to constantly hear the gospel of grace, being mindful of how Jesus lived, living selfless, giving himself as a ransom, seeking to not be served, but to serve. We need to constantly hear this gospel and apply it to every area of our lives, in our workplace, among our friendships, in our marriage, and in our parenting. Beloved, the reality is our faith is not intended to be compartmentalized, but it is all-encompassing, touching every area of our lives, seeking to submit every area to the Lordship of Jesus Christ out of a love for Him. And as a church, we are to be devoted to interceding for one another, praying that each other grasp the gospel and apply it to everyday life. And then we go and give God's word to one another. One of the reasons, one of the, one of the main reasons why we pray is because progress in the faith can't be manipulated. We can't white knuckle our growth in Christ Jesus. If we are to grow, God must do the work in us and through us. Beloved, do you pray for each other's progress in the faith? I can't speak for you. But I see in my own life that when I am praying for each other's, when I'm praying for others' progress, I am more prone to get up with them, to reach out to them, to seek to labor towards the end of encouraging them in the faith and learn more. Brother or sister, how can I pray for you? Love, may we put forth effort and may we fall on our knees praying for each other, praying that they would rehearse the gospel and apply it. Another reason why we pray for one another's progress is because we know that God is committed to our sanctification. He predestined for us to be conformed to the image of His Son. And so as we pray for each other to grow in the Lord, we are asking God to do in love the very thing that He is committed to do. It is a prayer request we know that He will answer because He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So, beloved, may we pray for one another. May we be a people who are marked by prayer. And one of the ways you can do that 
you can come to our evening service this upcoming Wednesday. Because one of the things that we do in our evening service is that we pray. We pray for one another. We pray specific prayers for each other. So Lord willing, I hope to see you there. But yeah, may we be a people who pray. Now, if you know yourself to not be a Christian, friends, I'm glad you are here. I want you to know that our prayers for you are different prayers. For fellow brothers and sisters in the faith, we pray for progress. But for you, we pray for your conversion, that you would turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ, that you would no longer reject the gospel, but believe that Jesus is the eternal son who became man, who came and lived among us and died on the cross as a substitute for the sins of all who would turn and trust in him. And that he resurrected from the grave. We pray that you would be convinced of that truth because it is true. And that you would believe in Christ. That you may have eternal life. If you want, you can talk with any of our members after service. Friends, we are happy that you are here and we would love to talk about the gospel. Now, beloved, may we be concerned about one another's faithfulness to Christ. May we love one another and seek to help each other because the reality is, as we see in the text and as we see in the scriptures, perseverance and growth is a community project. It is what we are to be about and it is what we are to do as a church. It is as we speak the truth in love, God is imparting grace to build us up in Christ. Beloved, may we be committed to that. Helping each other home to heaven. May we be faithful. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do praise you for your sanctifying work, for your faithfulness to your promise that you will preserve your people. Now that Christ will not lose one. Father, may we be a people who beckon one another to cling to Jesus and obey him out of a love for him in response to what he has done for us and his love for us. Father, may our congregation be marked by exhorting one another, seeking to complete what is lacking in each other's faith. Father, give us grace in this to live this out by your grace and for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.